Faith is advanced in our heart. Faith is advanced in our kingdom. Faith is advanced in our mind. You know, when there is the news from heaven that comes into us. He wants to bring into our hearts and our minds and our lives a, a, a sense of peaceful and security, of anticipation, of, of victory. I'd like to give you a news flash. A news flash from the heavenly paper. A news flash from the heavenly paper. You no doubt have been listening to or reading, because we can't hardly escape it, the secular news. And depending on your take of it, it can, could be depressing. Or it could be alarming or exciting. It could uh, be, you know, challenging you, informing you, and it just so many things that news does. And uh, uh, being living in the same world that you do, I'm well aware of the effects of secular news and its effect. And, uh, but this morning, there's a book. We know it as the Bible. It's the scriptures. It's the word of God. It has uh, uniquely been in, put in print for us. And uh, it has a news I really feel that what I've got to say this morning is a, is a news flash. I think it all is, but from the heavenly paper. And it's found in Psalms 110. Do we have that up there? The execution of the royal will. It reads this, as you can see, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I'll make it clear for you. David's Lord and, of course, the Lord's Lord, or we have a conversation, a heavenly conversation, a throne room conversation. Not with David, but with Jesus Christ and the Father. He says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your, of your youth. A conversation that's going on. A conversation in a psalm that is alluded to in the New Testament more than 
any other. There are at least 12 quotes and wherein they go ahead and make at least reference to this passage of Scripture in the New Testament. Referenced by Jesus, by Peter, by Paul, and John. What this psalm, this conversation prophesies and promises is an encouraging word. It's a newsflash about who's really ahead. Whose poll are you listening to? From where are you getting your information? What has been dominating your intake? Is it the secular? Or is it the heavenly? What's your morning newspaper to read? Now, nothing against keeping up. I, I love to keep up. I keep up with, with the news, what's, what's happening. I mean, Donald Trump's entertaining anyway. <laughs> It's a psalm of the kind of coronation, of declaration. Christ is bidden to take his throne, and he said, sit on my right hand. The scepter is put in his hand. The Lord shall send. A rod of strength, he says, shall go out of Zion. And that scepter is a symbol of power, authority. The Apostle Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, that, that Christ is actually ruling now among his enemies. Fact is, it says in verse 25 that he must reign. Everybody say reign. I mean, you know, that word reign is not losing. He must reign until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. And so there's a progressiveness that goes on here. Because he says, in the last enemy is death. Now we hear a lot about that. We talk about it. It's Something that when we have, you know, the funerals to honor those, the lives of those who have passed on, we bring that to the forefront and, and we're encouraged to the fact that, you know what I mean? This is not the end. There's a victory in it. It seems like we're always missing the in-between. But according to that passage of Scripture that... God's enemies are being put down one at a time. He must reign until all of his enemies. And then the last one. 
How many know if there's a last one, there's got to be one before the last one? And then there's got to be one, two before the last one, and three before the last one. You don't have to go to the last book of the Bible to find out who's winning. Now, it's good to do that. But you can read the pages in between and discover who's, who's in charge. The question is often asked, and I'm sure that infiltrates our mind, and we're, we sometimes almost get in a, a state of, of shock question, and particularly pastors can do this, you know, because they're, they're leading charges, they're, 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 they're on missions, there's, there's direct things that they're supposed to do, and uh, there are those particulars that the church is, you know, directly connected to corporately, and also, of course, individually. And so we might ask the question, Where's he going to find the people and the subjects for his empire? Because we read that they would be there. It says, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Passage of scripture that's put there for us to calm our anxieties. To encourage the believer that no matter what it looked like and what it seems like and, you know, no matter what the polls seem to be, Christ will indeed have a believing people and he will be king over all and he will have subjects sufficient for what he's got to do. And so we find here the execution of his royal will. And there's four specific promises that he makes, and we're going to unravel them this morning a little bit, and hopefully we can understand it, but I'll give the, the four of them to you, and then we'll digest them. There are four promises. He says there's the promise of time, the promise of people, the promise of disposition, and the promise of character. All in those passages of Scripture of Psalms 110, 1 through 3. It says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauty of your holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. It's all covered right there. Promise of time, promise of people, promise of disposition, and promise of character. A promise concerning time. A time of visitation. A time of revelation and a time of manifestation. When? In the day of God's power. A day when God pours out his power upon his subjects. A day I think that we live in. It's a day when God's thoughts are injected into the minds of people. Now, for you have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. 
A day when his power accompanies his word. When God works alongside of his word and confirms it with signs and wonders following. See, it's not that the enemies of God are not real. They are. The enemies of God are not to be feared. No. Because he shall reign. He shall reign. Until it says. He wants to bring into our hearts and our minds and our lives a a, a sense of peaceful and security of anticipation of, of victory. See, the battle ultimately is the Lord's, not ours. Though we're on the battlefield, though we're in the midst of the battle. He says there's a time when, when truth will steal into the hearts and, of people, and this truth is actually going to slay the unbelief that sometimes is resting in there. A power that's so great that they just can't resist. That's why the preaching of the word is so important. Because he upholds all things by the word of his power. He does not say the power of his word, but the word of his power, meaning that the word is the ultimate power. All things are held up by it. A promise concerning time. Now, we can go back into the scriptures and we can see God having specific visitations at various times. And in those visitations, tremendous influence was influenced within the sphere of what, where the visitation was at. You know this morning that America is not the only continent on earth, right? And yet we're bombarded with our continent news. And not the news of the whole world that he's a God of. Imagine a time, you know, when God's children find influence and might is irresistible as the word goes forth. It happened in my dad's life when it's a time when sinners become willing. When I came on the scene, of course, my, my father was already saved and, and uh, you know, was called into the ministry preaching the gospel. And, but as the story is told us by my mother, that she found the Lord got saved, but my father did not. And he had no desire to be saved. And preaching to him was futile. So she spent 
Herself and her and my, my dad's mother spent eight years just petitioning the throne of grace for the salvation of my dad. Here's a man that said there will be white blackbirds before I ever, you know, become a Christian. Well, one day, that blackbird became white as he gave his life to Jesus Christ because a visitation to him made this unwilling sinner become willing to believe I started out with one of the phrases in there that is a visitation is when the unbelief so that sometimes plagues us is also going to be removed. There's that powerful penetration of God's word and the activity of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, and where doubt used to be there, all of a sudden faith rises. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is advanced in our heart. Faith is advanced in our kingdom. Faith is advanced in our mind. You know, when there is the news from heaven that comes into us. If you don't get a good mix of the secular and the heavenly, your faith can take a beating. In fact, there's faith can reach such a point that it can shipwreck. What does it mean by shipwreck? It, it means that, that, that it becomes lodged on a sandbar. It's no longer moving. It's no longer a moving ship. It's no longer a faith-moving vessel. It's got lodged upon a sandbar. Stuck. You know, you need to really get beat up. When your ship's not moving, when faith has somehow, you know, lodged your ship inactive. But just one word, a right word, frees many people's ships from the sandbars or the rough waters that have stopped them from sailing. Now, I don't want to make too much reference, but I happen to, I remember in my father, forgive me, but he too went through a period of time in his ministry where his, where he laid his shingle up. Where faith had, had got, you know, stuck. And for a number of years, he did not preach the gospel. Until he went to one service, one meeting of the people of God, and a word, a power, a presence of God, you know, a visitation for him that, that unlodged his ship, that life had went ahead and capsized it. So he didn't feel like 
preaching the gospel. And it was from that moment, from that moment of that night, the process of the story comes and then ran to what was then known as Rush River. Which now is Bible Center Church. A day of God's power in our souls that set us free. Not a day of arguments of men. Not a day, you know what I mean, of of the conflict of religions and, you know, always fighting and who's right and who's wrong, but just simply the cross of Jesus Christ. A day of his, his power. When God wrenches the will and turns it as he, as he wants to. When he gave the Great Commission, he gave it with this in mind that there is victory. I want you to go into all the world and I want you to preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. A day in the time when it says that the word will water like rain does the earth. According to Isaiah 55 and 11, that my word shall go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I have sent it. Oh, hallelujah. The visitation of God, the enlightenment of his word. The good news this morning, church, is that God has never had a battle to fight when he could say, I don't have any soldiers. He's never had a campaign in which his army was insufficient. He's never had a struggle in which he could not find a man. Whenever the time is right, God will have the man or the woman. Hallelujah. Yes, sometimes we get like Elijah, and we feel like we're alone. You fought long and hard, and yet the fruit seems to be not there. But undisclosed to us, but disclosed to God. As he said to Elijah in his moment in time, he says, I want you to know that there's 7,000. See, Baal had taken over. Baal, and the worship of Baal had captured the heart and the society and the minds. You know, the wills and the ways, you know what I mean? And the ideas and the philosophy had all just run rampant. But God says, I want you to know something. I have it in check. 
I've got 7,000 that have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. The good news is God is that the church never has to be afraid. God will take care of it. Promise of people. Thy people shall be willing in the day of power. While it may be true that a religion is at a low ebb, it has never been at such a low ebb that God's ship was stranded. God's ship has never been stranded. The waters of God always run high enough to keep it afloat. The church will always find abundance of water running in the channel of God's river. You see, just because sometimes we become dry does not mean that the river is dry. No. The river is flowing. The river is full of water. He says, I promise you that there will be be people. Yes, there are going to be people that are going to be on the sidelines waiting for some kind of, you know, event or stimuli to happen because Jesus said that there would be those that say, well, it isn't harvest time yet. He said, no, it's harvest time. Don't wait for, you know, an opportunity the opportunity is already here. It's here right now. A promise of, of time, a promise of, of people. And a promise, it gets good, I think. A promise of disposition. A promise of disposition. I want you to think this morning... Broader than what's here, broader than the churches that are represented here, broader than just, you know, our communities, broader than our cities, now, just broader. There are literally hundreds of thousands of churches open this morning. Somebody give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Thousands of churches open this morning with, you know, millions of people gathered in their sanctuaries. They shall be willing. And all those churches are open this morning doing kingdom business. Doing kingdom business. 
Oh, hallelujah. I want to give you another little element of the power of this thing. Recently, we've heard about the martyrs, people that have been martyred. Not in our country for Christ, but in other countries for Christ. And down through the ages, we know about martyrs. Abel was a martyr. That's right, Abel was a martyr. He was a martyr for right. Wrong slew him. But did you know that the absence of the natural voice does not remove the voice? It says that Abel, who being dead, still speaks. Now, you might not hear it. We have his because God put it in the scriptures. But these martyrs all over the world, let me tell you, their voice is a perpetual voice in the ears and the hearts and the minds of the unbelievers that somehow one day might become a a turning point. Part of the weighting of the scale to convince them to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, your conduct and how you live has an influence in the day of God's visitation. Here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. What would that be? The unbelievers. How you live among the unbelievers is very important. Because when God makes a visitation to them. Fact is, let me go back. One of the reasons that my father did not want to become a Christian is because of the Christians that he knew. Lord have mercy. That's right. Fact is, when he believed, he said, Father, this is a black mark, and I, I, I say it with respect, but he said, I don't want what they've got. He said, I want what they had in the Scriptures. Now look at what it says here. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers... Come on, church. Come on. You know, they're not supposed to be in love with you. You're not on their invitation list. They may, by your good works, which they observe... Glorify God in the day of his visitation. Oh, hallelujah. Wow. 
There will be a grace, he says, that's going to come into lives the right time and the right moment. It's ours to preach. It's Christ's to prove. Let me say it again. It's ours to preach. It's Christ's to prove. They'll not only be willing, he says, to be saved, but they'll be willing to work after they're saved. Oh, thank the Lord. Promise of character. He makes a promise of character in this passage of Scripture. I don't know if you've spent much, spent, spend much time with youth. Have you hung around some Christian youth lately? Fortunately, I get to. And this is the one thing that I see is the character. The honesty. They might not have all the answers and all the insights that I've got, but they've got an amazing heart. Newsflash! All youth are not bad. Notice he says the promise of character. It says that in the beauty of holiness. It says they're going to be clothed with the beauties and the gems and the pearls of his holiness. Hallelujah. Here's Samuel, the mighty man of God. Eliab walks before him. He looks at him and he says, yeah, it's got to be the one. Because he walks right, he walks right. You know what I mean? Everything seems to be right. But there's one thing that was wrong. A true king has to have a servant's heart. and not a heart for authority. And so God goes, passes them all by and says, now finally he found one that could be a king because he was willing to serve 
character. That encourages me, and, and it encourages me because uh, it's so important in a culture, in a society, when character seems to have no place. But God says that there's going to be an imputed righteousness, and there is going to be, you know, in an impartation of grace. Because the fact of the matter is that all of God's people are deformed people. So they've got to be given beauty themselves. We don't have much to offer him. The scripture calls it ashes. But he takes the ashes and he gives us beauty. The beauty that's beautiful in his eyes. He says that there'll be the right sort of people with the right sort of character, the right sort of nature are going to step forward in the day of his visitation. I just heard this morning, fact is, that there was a revival tent meeting in California. Huge crowd. Of course, it's a huge city. It's a big city. But over 4,500 young people came forward and gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, I know how what religion does. Well, how much of it was real? What was real is that they came forward. (laughs) The work of grace, the hand of God, the promise of, of character. I'm going to close out with this. The dew of his youth. The womb of the morning. If you've gotten up early in the morning at any given time or even late at night, and you look out over the fields and see all of the beads of water droplets everywhere into the uncountable numbers of grass blades sets the uncountable number of dew drops There had been no thunder. There had been no lightning. There had been no apparent agency whatsoever that created the dew to come. But it was a God thing. A God thing. He says, fresh from the womb of the morning. The one thing that God has been 
I wouldn't call it stripping, but he's been adjusting in my life. And that is, he says, Don, don't look for it like it looked yesterday. It may not look like yesterday's. Just because it doesn't look like yesterday's doesn't mean it's not God. No, I personally like yesterday's. (laughs) Because it's how my soul developed. It's how my life developed, you know? But it's not about my development. It's not just about the holy huddle. Somebody help me out here. It's not just about the holy huddle. It's about a world that's dying. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ carried by the people of Jesus Christ. For he has not committed this dispensation of reconciliation to angels. He's committed it to you and me. And he gives the news flash from heaven and says, listen, I promise you that if you will go it will come. If you will do, it will arrive. There will be people. They will have a right attitude. And they will have a right disposition. And as you come this morning, Karen, why? Why? The dew of the morning is all of those that are going to be affected by the spirit, the presence, the gospel of Jesus Christ and willingness. But the dew of the youth, the dew of the youth is his resurrection power. It's his resurrection power. Christ still has the dew of of his youth. His resurrection power. The same Christ, when we open the book of Acts, and we see him leading the troops into battle with the 12 apostles, and then we see the church expanding. We see it moving across the continents and the Various countries is the same Christ that leads the church today. The same arm, 
that smote the devil with his word smites him today. His arm has not grown old or doesn't have any palsy to it. Fact is, in our Truth Project, this is for those that have seen it, maybe you've seen the Truth Project, but the gentleman says, if we really believed, if we really believed, Don't get down. Don't get heavy. Don't get despondent. Let's recharge. Newsflash. If somebody will go, I'll go with them. That's what he's saying. The same eye that looked upon his friends with gladness and upon his foe with authority as the same eye that's looking today. A Christ that's filled with power. Not an old Christ, but the one that's the same now as he was then. He steps into the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelations. And he says, there's just something that I need to do with you. I need to get your love refreshed. I don't have to do anything about your works. When it comes to your works, you're right on. You're as active as you should be. You're as persistent and diligent. I honor you for that. But he said your passion in your personal relationship, it needs a refreshing. Stand with me this morning. Oh, hallelujah. Church, people of God, we are not preaching something that's out of date. The gospel is not out of date. The dew of Christ's youth is upon it. The same gospel that saved 3,000 can save 3,000 today. And it's happening. Maybe not in your church, maybe not in my church, maybe not in, you know, churches closely around you, but it's happening. It's happening. He's saying, let the enthusiasm of your youth 
gird you and let your young days come again. Let me read it. The Lord said to my Lord, conversation, sit at my right hand. Oh, hallelujah. Till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send out the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you have the dew of your strength. Oh, thank the Lord. Amen. Amen. He said, I promise to have a willing people that's going to be under an amazing leader. And that's Jesus Christ. Maybe a leader in your life has failed. But the true leader has not failed. Maybe there's been people in your life that have failed. But the real leader has not failed. Maybe there's been people in, that you know of, you know what I mean, who the enemy has gotten the best of, but he has not gotten the best of our leader. And he is putting one, every one of them at a given time and a given point and in a given way. The power, the power.